something we um, words metaphor that we use all the time to help us see where we're where we're going and how we're going to get there. And so a very relative, pragmatic, practical idea. Follow a path, you're going to end up somewhere, probably at the end of the path, edge of the cliff, or maybe some goal you really didn't want. So in our, our tradition, the idea with the path is that you're going to, through awareness practice, you're going to meditate, sit down, hold still, watch the way the mind keeps cranking up uh, uh, fantasies, ideas, evaluations, judgments, explanations, uh, blaming, accusing, uh, accreditation. It's just uh, it's tiring. Round and round and round. And we never get anywhere. It's very circular. So the idea with a path in uh, this teaching is that you're going to, using this 2,500-year-old teaching, which this old man is trying to present, um, you're going to try to go straight to it. You're going to try to see what the goal is and go straight to it, rather than getting sidetracked in little rest areas that we call uh, our life. I often say, I'm saying now, don't miss your life. Don't shut down control or turn away from the very thing that's arising in your mind as your life, your experience. Positive, negative, neutral, doesn't matter. Just don't do away with that. I sometimes say, include, include what's happening. So it's a path of awareness. It's not a path of analyzing, judging, evaluating, negotiating, any of that. It's a path of sit down, hold still, and watch what you've been doing up to the present moment. And quite often, you'll notice quite a bit of circularity going on. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. It's bad. It's good. It's, it's really good and good now. Now it's going getting difficult. Now here it's getting good again. It's like what the metaphors of night and day. We use that one all the time. Oh, this was like night and day. I feel so great now that I'm not using this or that or doing this or that. I feel wonderful now. Relative. Whatever occurs will vanish. That's the very nature of relative truth. Uh, excuse me but so anything that shows up I'm not trying to do away with that I'm not trying to turn this into a, some kind of ideal thing where we don't think about relative truth anymore but rather we look at it and realize that it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a hype that you're going to get somewhere it's called a spiritual path but it's a true spiritual path it's not abandoning the physical reality and going into some kind of dream world or some kind of heaven realm where we just uh, totally idealistic. It's rather, from the point of view of the Buddhist teaching, it's about being very, very practical and pragmatic. Buddhism is not a belief system. Sometimes it's taught that way, but it's, it's not about uh, what you believe, what you disbelieve. That's extra. You don't need to believe anything. You don't need to disbelieve anything. You certainly don't need to look away from anything. The other thing I would say is uh, you shouldn't be doing this unless you have to. If you don't have to do this, do something else. Run in circles if that's what you want to do. Or do or walk a path that you think is straight. Maybe it is. I don't know. I have no idea. Excuse me for my sniffles. <clears throat> so quite often we look for, as we walk this path of awareness, path of meditation, we try to, am I getting better? Am I things working out? Am I improving? Am I less angry? Am I, and all of the various uh, kind of little tests we give ourselves. And those are also circular. Take you in a success, failure, success, failure. In the, uh, Buddhism is called the eight worldly dharmas. So success and failure, excuse me, even life and death is another polarity. Anytime you can posit or emphasize one thing, you're going to find its opposite, like opinions. <clears throat> so one of the teachings in uh, uh, Buddhism uh, taught uh, by many different teachers is that the, the, the path, the path is the goal. And what is this? What does that address? You all, I'm sure you've all heard of that in some way. There's even a book titled by my first teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, called, uh, I think it's called The Path of the Goal. <laughs> and basically what's being said is whatever you're doing, the, the, the goal of this uh, spiritual path is all, always already available. It would have to be if it's transcendent. If it's just a relative goal of getting a PhD or getting your... Uh, building your house or some kind of relative, uh, something you can track, and that's a different thing. We need those goals, too. We have them. I'm hungry. I need to eat. So, path, go to uh, 
uh, in my case, uh, my wife. <laughs> What's for supper? <laughs> oh, we're fasting today. We're not going to eat anything. Ooh, that's an interesting path. <laughs> so I'll see, see how that works out. And of course, the goal of there is to, it's very relative, it's a, we're working with it very relatively, is to be, be more healthy. As, as, as in my case, as I get older, I have to be pretty careful. I can't just uh, eat uh, potato chips. Unless it's an eating day, then I can eat potato chips, <laughs> which I've done two days ago, I think. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> spiritual path is more about actually seeing so clearly what is in front of you when you, we sit down and we look, do something that uh, someone who hasn't done this before sit down and look at a wall, I mean, what's that about? I mean, there's all kinds of things that kind of rise around that that just looks so ridiculous to do that. Not everyone's going to think that. But until you've actually sat down and done that and know, and know what it's like to sit for hour or hours at a time and have nothing, there's no one to blame, there's no one to give credit to, there's nothing but you and your mind. And since your body, when your body is not moving, your body is even moving slightly, sitting in a lawn chair, uh, just looking out over the ocean or walking through the woods or something. Sometimes people call that. Well, my meditation is I just walk through the woods. That's all I have to do. But that's the meditation that is about feeling better in, in the moment with a relative situation. Of course, I would say walk in the woods too. But if you want to find out what this is, truly is, then you might have to sit still. Call it meditation. We have a structure for it. You can actually just hold still. It seems to work a little better if you are more symmetrical. It's a little bit more difficult to hold a kind of a casual, because this is how your mind looks, if you were to, if you were to see it. Is your mind always, mind and body look separate, just because you can drive to Walmart, well, don't, don't drive to Walmart, um, just because you can drive to Harvest Health Foods, is that where we went? Just because you can drive there and think about something else, think about what you're gonna uh, buy me for Christmas, you know, you do that at the same time, uh, basically means that the, the mind is such an amazing, body-mind complex is so amazing that we can actually, our imagination is so incredibly unique that we can do things that that uh, dogs are probably not doing. An exception, Casey, of course, Casey, an exceptional dog. So that, that kind of a, a stretching out uh, gives us the illusion that we can think one thing and do something else, but probably not. Where was I going? Posture. Ah, thank you. So, <laughs> I knew he would know. So, if you're, if you're sitting like so, then the mind that normally can go to you know, go to another idea or something uh, actually has a hitching post, so to speak, just to use that metaphor, where the mind eventually will settle and the body-mind situation are no longer separating themselves. It is not an experience, my friends. If you're looking for experiences, then you might as well jump in the car and drive to Walmart. Because it's po highly polarized. We are we are down. This consciousness, this spirit, has been downloaded into a, in a into a, a, a an organism. But since we've been doing this for, in my case, way too long, in your case, not so long, we just get used to it. We we actually think we are a body mind. Of course, you know, if I weren't this, I couldn't mow the lawn. I couldn't re-roof the house, or I couldn't. Uh, I go to work or have an ongoing relationship with someone. But the fundamental insight is uh, that I use over and over again is not separate. This is the teaching of the Buddha is uh, called Pratitya uh, Samudpada or dependent origination. This is not dependent. This is dependent on that. This is not separate. It's separated, but it's not separate from everything else. If you begin to see this yourself right through your own heartbeat, not just the thinking process. Conceptually, we can all do this. Some of us are better than others at thinking stuff up and believing it. But if you really see this, you're, you will be speechless. Your thinking process will come to a screeching, screeching, not a word, screeching halt. That's a 51 Port Victoria coming to a halt. will come to a halt because you'll just see that you're not separate from anything anywhere. It is, a, it is not an experience because experiences, where is an experience? Here's an experience. You still hear it? It's gone. It's, that's what experiences do. They appear, and they may last twenty years. And being a human being is an experience. 
and it, it just comes. It's impermanent. It goes. It's going to go. And it's can be difficult if you're grasping out, if you think you are you are a body mind. I'm not saying you're not there and experiencing it, but I'm, not, I'm saying who you fundamentally are is not this. It's not separate from anything. Those trees out there, that fan, that spirit catcher, or whatever it is, this altar, this table, you're not separate from anything. The path is to look at everything, look at the thoughts that arise, and the goal, if there is such a thing, is, uh, is fruition, or no path left. There's anywhere to go. There's nothing to do. Except you won't feel that way, you, because there will be no expression of what that's, there's no disappointment happening. The disappointment leads up to that. There's disappointment, disappointment, as my teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, expressed the path of the Buddha Dharma is one disappointment after another until the final disappointment, which is awakening. Why would, why would that, a teaching like that even magnetize anybody? You'd think if somebody <laughs> hear that say, I'm not going to do this. I want a happy path. Well, there's several teachers that even call themselves Buddhists that, that encourage that kind of thing. And that's not incorrect. It's just a different way of working with people. Some people need that. Some people are not going to do this unless they're promised something. Unless they're giving something. Unless they're giving, what, hope, a word you'll rarely hear me use. Unless I use the, the one with the big long tail on it, hopelessness. Hopelessness is not negative from the point of view of reality. Hopelessness is negative from the point of view of grasping in a material world and craving and, and aggression and ignorance. And as I've said recently, hopelessness, actually what comes out of that, the other side of that is fearlessness. There's no one can be threatened. Who you actually are can't be threatened. You can't threaten the tree. You can burn it down, but then there's another tree. You can blow up the world, but then there are other worlds. This is not a justification for blowing up the world. Not a good idea. Or, or causing harm to anyone or to anything. So it seems necessary to walk a path beyond the path and see, watch what, in our situation, sit down, hold still, watch what moves in the mind without accepting it, passion, without rejecting it, aggression, and without shutting down, distracting yourself, or looking away, which is ignorance. Those are the three poisons in Buddhism. Passion, aggression. It is only about being aware of them. It's not about getting rid of or starting some, something else or pushing something away or accomplishing something, some kind of a relative situation. What you are looking for, you're looking at. It may be look like a closed door, but don't take your uh, awareness away from that door. It's, in our tradition, we call that a Dharma gate. The very negativity that someone else does and triggers in your mind is the path. Not something to scold someone about and say, you know, you, you're wrong, you shouldn't do that, that's a, a bad thing to say or do. We're not saying that relatively people aren't correct or incorrect, of course. We all know about the relative truth. I mean, the, uh, the whole world runs on that. The government's run on the right and wrong. As soon as somebody does something, no, they don't look at the causes and conditions that are uh, 15 lifetimes back here or back to just back to their childhood, which is another lifetime. What happened to that? What's happened to that person? How did they get into such a state where they're, where they're, they're using their own dissatisfaction, their own anger, their own pain, and they don't know what to do with it, and so they start acting in a, what we call what antisocial way, robbing, stealing, hurting others, even killing others, instead of instead of coming at that with uh, an understanding of some kind of support to fundamentally help those people. I'm not saying let them run loose. I'm saying help them look at it as a sometimes they're trying to do is look at it as a as a health issue might be a good idea and say well how do we help that person rather than put that person in a box which just perpetuates the whole thing but what one what our society or gets out of it is that, well at least we're controlling it control is a misunderstanding you can't control anything and if you can it's only for 20 minutes the path is the goal. Actually being here on the path, day after day after day. Uh, Dogen uh, expressed it, uh, uh, Genjo Kohan, actualizing the fundamental point. What is the fundamental point? You're looking at it, not this guy, but you're always looking at it. When you reach for your car door, when you, when you put on your shoes, when you get out of bed, when you wipe your butt, no matter what you're doing, fundam is a fundamental point 
eternity is looking at you in the face all the time. If you see this, there won't be anything else to do. And your own death may be difficult for others, but it's not going to be difficult for you because you're no longer clinging to anything. This can be done or not, or do something else. Go to the casino. Some people spend their whole life going into a casino. Not wrong. I don't want to correct anyone. But but they're so they're suffering so much, they're having so much difficulty with their mind spinning that they, they just want to cover it up. So they cover it up with the possibility of pleasure, the possibility of being a, that special person who's going to win. What is it now? 150 billion or something? I don't know what those, sometimes they get up so high, and I think, and then and even Uno gets mad. She thinks, we probably should buy a ticket. <laughs> what do I say? Can't win if you don't play. No, you don't I see that. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with that, Uno. <laughs> what do you say? Uh, what do I say? I can't remember what I say. But I you probably say... You can buy a ticket. I do say that. That's what I say. You can buy a ticket. Go buy one. <laughs> but every, everywhere we look, we have somebody uh, that... Uh, the whole economy and everything. Somebody knows that you're not too happy and they say, here, try this. Advertisements are so... Uh, what do you call it? demeaning and just like watch an advertisement of someone trying to use your suffering, your difficulty, or your pain to actually get control of you, to get power, to get money, to get, to get, to get, to get. Grasping. And it's not that we don't need money. It's not that we don't need medication. Of course we do. But it, it tends to go, what, overboard? Yes. So. Questions? You said uh, we're staring into eternity. I think is that... Yes. What do you mean by that? I mean, what do I mean by that? I mean, it's a word. It's a it's a relative term, eternity, and so on. But, but I'm I'm saying you're what you're what you're looking at is always this moment. It's always this moment. You can't look at the past. You you can find a recording of it, but you can't look at anything but this. And you're not going to hear me say stay in the now because that's a concept. I don't teach that. I say, what do I say? Watch what's moving. That's what I say. Watch what's moving all the time. So it's just a way of saying it's this. Uh, actualizing the fundamental point of the 13th century master, Dogen Zenji. It's just this. Firewood does not become ash. Firewood is firewood. Ash is ash. And we impute the transition. I'm not saying you can't watch firewood burn and crumble and turn into ashes. Of course you can. You know, We can look in the mirror for and watch yourself slowly get old, or speedily. So it's just a way of addressing the idea of time in a way that, say, that says it doesn't, we're not doing away with it completely, but we're, we're seeing it on a, a deep level. This, all, this is always here. Anytime you sit down, the teachings of Dogen, is every time you sit down and hold oh, look at the wall, this is the Buddha, this is the awakened one. In Buddhism, there, we talk about a path or a provisional teaching where we talk about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Links on the Chain of Existence, and on and on and on, and they're all sprinkled all over the place. But the fundamental understanding, is the, the, the path vanishes. The path is, uh, the, some of the, one of the metaphors is the path is like going up a mountain. Uh, I think the, the, I always like the story of uh, Trungpa Rinpoche was asked uh, uh, about the Vajrayana, the Tantric path of uh, Buddhism, Tibetan path. He says, it's like going up a mountain with no guardrails, no handrails. You could fall off, you could get hurt. It's difficult, challenging. And then Coben, um, my Zen teacher, was uh, asked, was told that, I think, story, and then says, what, how would you describe Zen? And he says, Zen, you start at the mountain and go up. So, rather impractical. <laughs> it's just a handrail. <laughs> no steps. <laughs> um... I was reading Vasubandhu's uh, 30 verses yesterday, and then I, I sat with that. And uh, when you talk about the mountain, I feel like um, I'm at the top of the mountain, and I'm not looking at For me, it feels like the path is actually going down into the mountain. There's this complete experience that I'm shutting down on. What's so, your question? Yeah, my confusion is how can I go up the mountain um, without ignoring the complete situation that the mountain's coming out of? You... But you're aware of that. It's just about awareness. It's not about changing anything. Not about accepting anything. Not about rejecting anything. And certainly not shutting down. Just this. Just this. Always this. It's always this. We, we, we think we're separated from everything. We think we walk through doors. When Look closely. See if there's anyone walking through a door. 
there seems to be a constant shutting down on my part. Yes. So that's awareness. So just be aware of the shutting down and, and slowly remove the comment that you're shutting down because that's extra. What's actually happening is you're, impu- you're putting something on top of it that protects you from seeing deeply what it is. Isn't that clever of me to say it that way? I'm just confused by... Um, I can see the shutting down. Good, I'm glad you're confused. But there's a lot of movement around that shutting yes. down. And I just don't how, know what that is. How much do you sit? Um, an hour, hour and a half a day. Okay. Block sit, sit. Try to find some time to, you know, or not. You can do whatever you want. I'm just saying it. the way it looks, the way it sounds is find some time to stretch that out so it's a longer period, like four hours is the one that I've come up with after 45 years of looking at this. So find some time to sit down, hold still, and watch what the mind does in that. That four-hour time is pretty pretty grueling for the ego, for the self-centered mind, to sit and do nothing. And if your knees hurt, then sit in a chair. If your back hurts, then lean back. But don't do it until the body tells you that. So don't don't try to, it's not a macho thing where you have to, that's, that's extra. That comes out of Japanese culture. It's a misunderstanding, an ancient one. But just sit down, hold still, watch what moves. You'll, you'll see the way your, your ego, your self-centered mind, keeps adding stuff up and coming to conclusions and coming to conclusions. So, and then your path, your path or your attitude could be including the conclusions. To include is, or to conclude is to actually do this. Oh, oh now I get it, guys. Yeah, that is okay. Got that. But to include is you just about have to be uh, open all the time. To have that attitude, you're including, and that's frightening to ego. Ego doesn't want to do that. Ego wants to know stuff and be right and avoid being wrong. So you're, what you're telling me about your aware, what you're experiencing is what what I would say as functioning as a person who teaches this. Sit down, hold still, all of senses open, and just watch what keeps coming your way, and watch how the ego mind, the self-centered mind, the mind based on hope and fear. Hope that things are going to get better and fear that they're going to go in the uh, <clears throat> wastebasket. It's just the observation. just the awareness will do it. You don't have to, there's nothing to accomplish. That puts us back into spiritual materialism where we're using a spiritual path to get to some kind of state of mind. There is no state of mind. There are states of mind, but the fundamental reality is, is there's no state. There's no, because that would be separate from other states. There's just this. And if you realize this, you will be both be speechless and be uh, uh, full of yourself. Not two. This practice is coming out of suffering. Yes. And I don't want to suffer anymore. I understand that. So when I see that the shutting down is creating all of my suffering, how can I still be with that suffering without not wanting to shut down anymore? You don't have to do anything. You can, you can have everything you just described. Just let it be there. Just let it be there. Don't do anything with it. Don't meddle with it. But don't stop looking at it. And one of the ways you can focus, uh, bring your attention to it so you aren't distracted by the, the toaster popping up or the refrigerator door closing or the next door neighbors in the lawnmower uh, is by sitting down, holding what you can, controlling what you can, control this physical manifestation of the body, hold still. I think it's best to do it symmetrically. You probably could do it off a little bit, but this is... Sit very symmetrical. Mind follows body, body follows mind. They're fundamentally not separate. We can't find the mind. We can certainly find this. It's finding us all the time. Sit down, hold still. The reason I say a four-hour period is because the self-centered mind, the ego mind, after about, it's different for everyone, after about an hour, hour and a half, two hours, starts the, the self-centered part of the mind starts to actually get bored, if not sooner. And, and it begins to kind of, relax or slow down or the what, what is fueling that self-centeredness is the movement of being involved in the world it's fueled but if you don't if you don't buy into that you just sit down and hold still then you begin to see not thinking about it but you begin to see deeply into what this is and you if you come to a conclusion then you need to sit more there's no conclusion awakening reality sanity is not a conclusion it's not separate you can transcend this world at the same time you're a living being in it. So that when you when this body-mind collapses, I'm not saying that won't be an interesting event, 
but it will not be uh, terrifying as it is to some people. Yes. Uh, we have the Battle Creek Sangha listening in this morning, and Andrew uh, has a question. He asks, is sadness aggression? No. Are the Bodhisattva vows uh, a type of goal? The Bodhisattva vows to be with all things, to save all beings, is to get your ego-centered mind to, because we've been inspired by, by hearing about there is such a thing as the truth, there is such a thing as reality, there is such a thing as kindness, there is such a thing as compassion, but we feel so kind of rotten or disturbed or confused or selfish or all of the negativity that people could describe. And so the Bodhisattva path is something that, is, uh, that shows up. So we say, you could do this. You could you could you could go through this uh, um, structure that will help support you as you go towards what might be called your inspiration to live a, a wholesome, sane, uplifted life. So the Bodhisattva vow are kind of idealistic, but be with all things. You can do that, and but the only way it seems like you can do that is to see that you're not separate from all things. So the goal is the path. The path is the goal. So. Uh, I vow to, when we do this formally, uh, I vow to be with all things. I vow to do good. I vow not to do harm. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. And I vow to be with everything. I, I vow to not abandon anyone or anything ever, no matter what that happens. This doesn't mean if, if you aren't, you know, being captured by terrorists and the terrorists are, you know, twisting your earlobes or something, trying to get you to do something else that you wouldn't tell them what they want. Or lie. Yeah, you could lie. Because you're lying for the benefit of all beings. So is that doing harm? Would that be doing harm? Can't avoid doing harm. Can't avoid doing good. Can't avoid being with all things. What you can avoid is shutting off. You can you can shut off from your life. Don't miss your life. That your life might involve doing some difficult things. Your karma. You can't you can't meditate away your your complexion or your or your race, or your sex orientation. You can't, you can't do anything with it. I'm saying you can do something with it, but you can't just be someone else. I have a great idea. Be who you are. If you actually do that, the, 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 the relative part of your existence begins to collapse. Because the truth is, the ultimate truth is, you're not separate from anything. The, the leaves and the trees, the rocks, the, the earth, the water, the clouds, other beings, animals, not separate. Separated, but not separate. Like I use the fingers, these are separate from each other, but they're fundamentally not separate. So there wouldn't be a hand. Is there a way to determine if we're doing harm? I think that shows up for each person individually, rather than there being some kind of a blanket statement about it. So I sometimes say, often say, less is better. Don't, don't do anything unless you absolutely have to do it. Because uh, any time you move from the karma that you're receiving, which is like the thoughts that are spontaneously coming up in your mind is your karma, any time you take anything that's happening and do something else with it, you put a, literally you run the risk of causing all kinds of causes and conditions that, that could be harmful. So less is better. You, you can't stop. You can't help you walk from here to say you're going to take Casey for a walk out in the woods. You can't help but kill beings. You're walking on them. So you're, uh, what often is said about this, well, it's the intent. Well, somewhat. I would be real careful about making excuses or anything. If you don't have the intent to kill, then you can kill all you want. So did, uh, did Mussolini have the intent of killing? Did, uh, you know, maybe they had an intent of killing some people, but maybe some people got killed with the intent as soon as he get off the hook. So is there a hook? So it's it's all it's not about believing anything. It's not about disbelieving anything. It's all about awareness. Strengthen your awareness. You don't have to want to be a Buddhist. You don't have to sew one of these. Uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to meditate. Don't meditate. Go do something else. I often tell people when they, they happen to show up in this situation or watch on what YouTube or whatever we're on currently on, do something else. I don't have a sales pitch. But if you're here and you wanna you wanna know what's happening, what how you're suffering, why you're suffering. And I say, well, you, could, you could do this for a few years. Sit down, hold still, watch the mind. Don't believe in Buddhism. Don't disbelieve in Buddhism. There's nothing to join. I have, I have students that I've had for years and years who will never solve Roxy. Not a problem. Well, I guess I solved that. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
Is the act of avoiding in her? Uh, you know, just a gen- in general, it could be. I don't think there's any specific situation. Uh, it, would, it would depend, you know. Avoiding is, uh, there's the intentional kind where we're deliberately distracting ourselves by, I got to get out of here, kind of thing. You know, you're with your family or with your your work or something like that. I'm getting out of here. This is too much. Uh, this is too much aggression, too much uh, too much strain or but, you know, you also say, I can't, I'm going to avoid eating a certain food because it doesn't agree with me. So there's so many different levels of that. And what is important there is to bring your, bring as much awareness as you can. You're going to have a lot more. There is a, some kind of quantity happening there. If you train your mind to emphasize and strengthen the awareness, not, not belief in anything or disbelief in it, just be more aware of what is moving in the consciousness. Thoughts, which are kind of invisible in a way. Like, I can't, you can't see my thoughts. What am I thinking about right now? Anybody know? Say it. What am lunch. I thinking? Huh? Lunch. Are we having oranges for lunch? Maybe. Okay, then that. You've got it. That's what I was thinking of with an orange. It said sun kissed on it. Did oranges still say that, or is that from the 50s? No? Anyways? Some of them do. Huh? Some of them do. Some of them do. How many? <laughs> okay, guys. It's close enough. <laughs> so... Uh, Joy, more about that? Any, anything specific about it? It just seems like we um, harm ourselves when we avoid. Well, you could say that if, you, if, if you're the, the, the combination of causes and conditions that arise as you as a separate or anyone as a separate being, if you, if you just keep, you know, if you have negativity arise and you stuff it, you know, then it'll stay stuffed as long as nothing, no big events are happening. But if somebody comes along into your purview who has a big stick and triggers that, then all the unexamined aggression starts coming out, piling on top of the person that might have that might have required a little bit of a thing, like, you know, hey, stop swinging that stick around, whatever you to use that as a metaphor. But instead, we get incredibly enraged at some simple, uh, as they say, the uh, quite often people say mountain out of a molehill kind of thing, where some little thing happened and we're just incredibly upset with it. But probably... Not always, but probably because we've we've taken a bunch of negative feelings instead of just feeling them. Just let the feelings come. Let the feelings go. Don't add anything to the feelings, like why you're feeling it, or who did it to you, or anything. If insofar as you can, pull the plugs on all those food processing uh, situations in your mind, and just just be with the feeling. Be with whatever happens is your feeling. That they might have triggered it, but it's your emotion that's coming up. And you, uh, from the point of view of the Buddhist path. You have nothing but gratitude for that person who abused you because you're, they're actually triggered the feelings that, that you had hidden away, and now you're getting the opportunity to feel that come through. So just a way of, of acknowledging in a relative way dependent origination, or the, as the Buddha's uh, understanding 2,500 years ago, is everything is dependently risen. There are no separate beings anywhere. But we, the world, we, in our culture, we keep wanting to separate. That's why there's wars. That's why there's large buildings called uh, correctional facilities. It's like uh, if there weren't so many people suffering in there, I would just have tremendous belly laughs looking at that. And I've been into many of them, as several of us have been. A terrible thing to do to human beings. Instead of helping them, put them in a box, put armed guards around them. It's like it's like eighth grade, eighth graders, or not eighth grade, eight year olds are running the world. Only the eight-year-olds probably would do a better job if they were actually put in charge. As me. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of embarrassed asking this question, but the oh, question good. is, um, dependent origination yes. is, is so for everything and everything that we see. But why does that make us not separate? Because the causes and conditions for everybody's or everybody and everything's origination yes. is different. It is different. But why should then we say that we're the se- we're not separate? Because if because usually what we see is the separations. See how my karma is different than your karma. Well, I'm glad I'm not don't have her karma. That kind of thing. I'm glad I'm not. Or I wish I had his karma because he's uh, Jeff Bezos. You don't want his karma. That's a terrible karma to have. Big responsibility. So it's, it's, it's necessary to see it completely. That doesn't mean you have to look into every single person's life, all, what is it, 750 billion of them. Go ahead and crack me. <laughs> <laughs> it 
doesn't mean we have to see, but, but when we see, we see deeply what this is, it's in front of you all the time. Then you see that there isn't anything that you're separate from. Then, then it's the same. We're all, have, we're all we're the same. This is why the, the teaching of Sandokai, the equality of sameness and difference, is so powerful. Once that's realized, we can function as an individual, but we know that ultimately we're not separate from any, not separate from the worst person that's ever lived or the most wonderful person that's ever lived. Yes? So are you saying that we're not separate because we know that uh, we are all here, everything is here, all phenomena is here because of causes and conditions and just the mere fact that there is no intrinsic quality in any phenomena that we are therefore not so that's the that's the intellectual and conceptual idea, the way the construct works to be able to convey that to, to okay. get you to begin to look in that direction. Okay. But the realization of that actually transcends the information. So you don't you don't have to you don't need proof anymore. You don't need an explanation. That explanation is a is a provisional teaching, so that you can see how it works. But the actual insight or the actual realization, excuse me, the awakening to that is not an experience. Because if it's an experience, it's going to go away, like the bell. But so it's 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 so deep that you realize you've always known this. I sometimes say your grandfather did or grandmother did. Once you realize that you you've always known this, not not just this lifetime, you've always known it. That's why it's said that the Buddha remembers his lives. He doesn't remember the lifetime. He just remembers being here forever. Now he might say, well, "I remember this one time in the." Thirty centuries ago, where you know my mother was spanking me, and I thought this is wrong. When I become the Buddha, spank her. Dodi said. Yes, Gary. Thank you. Yes. The 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 no separation piece. Does that is it track back to the beginning of time? You can't find any separation. Is that is that how that looks? So the. The assumption in your question is that there is there, that time is linear. True. So, well, uh, having any thoughts about time uh, tends to to leave what that actually is. Uh, Dogen talks about uh, Uji or being time. Has anybody read any of that material? That's a uh, the very it's very difficult, but it's a powerful. The the West is quite magnetized. Uh, who was the uh, Eastern Western philosopher who talked about time being? Was it Heidegger? I don't know. It's, that kind of thing is covered in different ways uh, in the West. So, um, but it's the look at the linear. See, is it linear? How, what makes it linear? What, what what would make that something that goes from here to there? I think as one thing happens, it causes something else, which causes something else. Yeah, but but that's that's part of the picture. That that has to do with attaching to relative truth. So, well, this caused that, so they need to be arrested. Or this caused that, so we need to do more of that because look, they did this and this, and look what they got. So that's being attached to relative truth rather than just seeing how it works. If you see deeply how it works, then uh, it's uh, it's just uh, circular. So why would you get out of merry round if it's just going to come back around again? That's not a rhetorical question. Why would you? Why would you get out of why, why would people get on? Why would be? Why would be, we come back here and be reborn again? What are we doing this for? Huh? It's fine. You would say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's fine. That does make it more difficult to understand. So the difficulty, thank you, the difficulty in understanding is awareness. The actual understanding of that is not a thought. The actual understanding of that is not a concept. The actual understanding of that is actualizing the fundamental point, which is not separate. Nothing is separate. If you see it, the work is over with. There's nothing else to do. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to have a teacher. You don't have to do anything. Everything is your teacher then. Everything is telling you all the time. You'll never make another decision in your life because you'll see deeply and completely, ultimately, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And you probably won't do much, especially you. <laughs> you'll just stay in Traverse City. We'll go to work. Just stay home all the time. Yeah. Probably cut your beard off, or half of it, to represent duality. <laughs> <laughs> when in time did I do it? Huh? When in time did I do that? Well, you'd have to look at your watch and write it down. <laughs> yes. 
Jasmine. Um, the concept of, uh, in, uh, of dependent arising yeah. and the concept of emptiness mm -hmm. are closely related, are they not? Yes. So we, but we often talk about them so separately. Well, we, we, we need to separate them because if we try to mush them together, then it's already hard enough to understand emptiness. Emptiness is a simple way of talking about that that gets us started is everything that we see is empty of what we think about or what we impute. So anything you look at, including another person, we impute or we believe or we think that that's another person that's separate from us. We don't see the fundamental uh, uh, point that's not separate. So the dependent uh, origin, uh, origination or a, a codependent arising or however you want to talk about it, it just means that everything is, is not, you can't have this without that. You can't have that without this. And it's not that there's a, a direct, like a little string running from the one to the other. That's the primitive way that people look at it. That's why we have such uh, antagonistic kind of social structures that don't that put a lot of emphasis on those who succeed and where we don't extend our, our help to everyone. But seeing that everything is dependently arisen, uh, is, is you're doing that with everything is happening. You actually see it. You don't have thoughts about it. You can see it. You actually can look in person's eyes or, or look at, at that mat, look at the floor. You can't see anything but yourself. And it's not your identity that you were born with necessarily. I don't know how else to say it than that. And I don't really know how helpful... Um, I've been saying that off and on for years, but I don't know how helpful it is for, I guess what I'm saying is whatever's in front of you, look at it and then look at what you're in, you're adding to it, uh, your idea, your opinion, looking at the wall, just you think that's a wall. It's not a wall. That's a wall as a concept. Further questions? Um, when you hit the bell to um, show that, you know, it rises and goes away. Mm -hmm. um, and then each time you talked about it, I could hear that bell again. And so I'm wondering, um, how can it go away if it seems like it's always accessible? Yeah, I rest my case. What's your case? What you just said. Looking to see who's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for Mahakashapa. <laughs> Anybody smiling? So the question part is, is it requires some kind of other part. So we, we're actually buying into the the duality and the, and the actual thing you said is, is, is the reality of the situation. There isn't anything else but that. The nature of sound is eternal. That doesn't mean it has to keep showing up in your... <laughs> Pardon me for snickering. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel bad. But... A question from Caroline in France. Caroline, she's watching from France? Yeah. Good eyes. She asks, is Western philosophy useless to understand the truth of the Buddhist teaching? Oh no, I don't. I don't think it's useless at all. I think we could we could study. Be up to you. I don't have the time to study all that. But you know, it's, uh, a lot of uh, Western ideas are powerful. The thing that's usually missing is, uh, and if you, and I'm not a scholar, but I've looked into a little bit. You know, and but the thing that's usually missing is that is uh, there's no self there. There's no solid being there. Even in uh, Indian uh, philosophy, there's still some kind of Atman. Or some kind of a sacred being, a Brahman, you know. So there's something there. Whereas the Buddha said, no, everything is dependently arisen. That there is no self in the skandhas or form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness. There's no solid being there. And you can, you can uh, just think, well, I feel like I'm here. I have a past. I have a I have a credit card. I have a driver's license. You know, I've got a full tank of gas. Saturday night. So <laughs> <laughs> no, we can we can actually do that where it's such a powerful situation we're in, and we not that we shouldn't do that, but if there's suffering going on, then we probably should look at that, and not only ourselves, but in those who are you know parts of the world that it's you're not going to even not only you're not going to hear the, these teachings, the teachings of the Buddha, uh, but you're also you're going to suffer just because of the nature of the world you're born into, like you know Syria or Yemen. Back to when you said you see yourself in everything you look at, is that especially in Raquel? <laughs> <laughs> is that because uh, it's what you see? Is that it's what you're imputing into everything? 
from your own. No, it's just it's just a, I'm not making any claims. I'm saying the imputation goes on, comes and goes. I see that happening, but the the fundamental situation is not separate. It's it's difficult to know how to take that and put it into words where it works philosophically, like you know, where I could argue with Friedrich Hegel or Soren Kierkegaard, or to mention all of them, as Caroline and Francis bringing up these. Is it you know we need to look at that or not? I think possibly it might be good to include. They don't include the Buddha. Uh, only in rare cases today. I think uh, David Hume talked about egolessness, somewhat call. But uh, so there's some of that going on. Uh, but uh, the fun. Go ahead. So, what is consciousness? This. What's the difference between awareness and consciousness? So, and there's different ways of saying, but I would say that your awareness is something you can move around, uh, kind of be selective, or maybe even focus on something. You've noticed that. We've all noticed that. But then consciousness is something, uh, the awareness seems to belong to someone. It seems to be, seem to think there's somebody here, the five skandhas, form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, those that they get together and hold hands and say, yeah, we're here. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a really bad guy. I need to work on myself. I need to work on my relationship with others and all these kind of chatter going on. So uh, the awareness is operating in there, but consciousness is actually something that doesn't belong to, literally doesn't belong to anyone and is operating like the one I often use is there's consciousness in your, uh, in your digesting your food. Uh, there's consciousness that's uh, controlling your blood flow, your body temperatures. All consciousness is operating in all kinds of, you could say, impersonal ways, but very personal because you need that or you couldn't be here. Uh, it's um, growing your fingernails. It's the consciousness is operating in all kinds of levels. Uh, and even though science or materialistic science doesn't find it, uh, there's consciousness in the granite. There's consciousness in trees, which are living beings. But there's consciousness, you know, in in this material, whatever this is, there's, there's consciousness there. Just because materialistic science can't, hasn't located it yet, because they're still struggling, struggling with their walls of the mind. They, they don't realize in order to, to go through that, they have to stop making assumptions about things. The, the, um, the atomic uh, uh, part, uh, par, uh, particle uh, physicists are having a little bit of trouble with that, because when they get right down to really, you know, Way down into it, oh, we don't know what that is. Is it a particle or a wave? Like, as if it had to be one of those things. Another question um, oh, good. is, um, so in, in Hinduism, what gets regenerated, if you yes. will, is the Atman. Yes. So in Buddhism... I love this question. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> is it... Is it I mean, is it consciousness? I know no, don't, it's don't, don't, I don't do multiple choice. Just ask Just, me a direct question. Is it question. consciousness? Yes. <laughs> but it's not a self. It's not someone. As my teacher, Chunk, uh, Chunk Rinpoche, once uh, someone asked him uh, if, uh, back in, I think it was 1981 or right in there, when His Holiness, uh, the head of the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, said, uh, I have to paraphrase the whole thing, but it's, uh, I remember the, the, the basis, uh, basic situation someone I think it was a woman asked him so when his holiness uh, Karmapad has died or is dying or something uh, does he does his holiness so she knew him does he you know go into the whatever and then come back as does his holiness come back is it him and he said and this can be helpful in some ways and in other ways this is uh, totally uh, is flummoxing a word flummox yeah that's a word we'll make it a word uh, he said uh his holiness would come back and your consciousness and his holiness consciousness could come together and you could be the next karma. Quite an astonishing statement that seems helpful, but yet puts us back on the same thing. As, well, that doesn't work for It's basically saying there's no self anywhere. So it is, it, not only are there countless numbers of atoms and molecules and all uh, impersonal parts to everything, leaves on a tree, but... Uh, when, 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 we, when we leave this anchor called the, the physical form, which comes out of uh, causes and conditions or karma, and go back into the netherworld, you know, uh, the, that's when the karma from way other times could, could be, start to show up. And, you know, you might have other karma that you have to, you might have to be a, 
uh, a coal miner on uh, in the Andromeda galaxy. They have coal there. That's not a galaxy, though, is it? Is it Andromeda? Is that a galaxy? Oh, it's a star. Huh? It's a star. It's a galaxy. Okay. Good. I don't mind being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's that it is so broken down in in, in parts. That when you look at the parts, they start breaking up into parts, and then the parts break up into parts. Like the physicists are having some difficulty because they're actually getting into the area where there's a transition between the material world and what we commonly talk about the, the spiritual world. Yeah, me too. My goodness. Let's just let's play parcheesi or something. Yes. Oh, certainly you can. So, um, what is the relationship between, or is there a relationship between karma and consciousness? So, karma means action. Consciousness is whatever it is. It's like the space in which things move, and somehow there's something happening with that space relative to the what is moving. That I like to say this way: what is moving in the space and the space itself are not separate. That's all I would say. It's just a relative way of saying something that's just impossible to bring down into some kind of materialistic uh, situation. So a karma, insofar as anything is moving, like for instance, if I, um, uh, the obvious form is striking the bell like I did, and uh, or any other, but the more subtle form, it gets more and more subtle. So if I say uh, um, a bright yellow phoenix, Everyone sees either that word, or if they're very visual, they might actually see what they remember a phoenix looking like uh, being bright yellow. Of course, everybody knows they're turquoise. <laughs> but we, we see that. So, so that's karma in a sense in that I, together, you and I, uh, by me saying it, and then you generating or anyone else generating that idea, we, we've, we've collaborated somewhat on that. So we're, there's kind of a cause and effect, but it's a very subtle form. When the body-mind drops, that, that area uh, of consciousness becomes extremely vivid, and, and that's your only reality, then, is, and there's no time and space there. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Is consciousness temporary? Yeah, everything is temporary. Does it change? Everything changes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I wait for the answer. <laughs> Consciousness is always changing, but does it disappear? So the, the way I would prefer to talk about it is consciousness is, from our point of view of trying to understand it, is the space in which things occur. So if you sit down and meditate, you'll notice at some point you have kind of the feeling of the memory or the perception that not much is happening. So it seems to be a lot of spaciousness there. And then something, a memory comes up or... A speculation about something that's going to happen tomorrow or that it gets filled up. So the sky starts to fill up with clouds. But the fundamental nature of the situation is the clouds or the phenomena and the, the consciousness of the space are, are not two different things. That the, Anything that you, the teaching of the Buddha, anything, anytime you find something and you call it something, you're going to find its opposite because you've just created the polarity. But if you find something and you see what it is fundamentally, it's, it's not separate from anything else. So you only have to find one thing. And that's what uh, Dogen is talking about. Well, I don't know. I didn't know Dogen, but then and if Dogen were here, he might say, not exactly. That's not exactly what I meant. And, he, and, I, would, and I, would, I would say, oh, yeah, oh, pardon me. Stop commenting on that. So good that you're here, though. Would you mind giving this Dharma talk? <laughs> I'm going to go have no lunch. Uh, but uh, so... Uh, Actualizing the fundamental point, which I think, he, I feel, I feel that he was trying to uh, help people see that it's just, it's very simple, it's just in front of you, it's just directly, and it's not a thing. It's just reality, and it's not separate from anything. And it's your heartbeat. It's your, it's your as I have said before, your heart's desire. What you've been looking for is always right here. It doesn't mean that you don't still have a migraine now and then, or it doesn't mean that the person cutting you off in traffic doesn't say, how are they doing? You know, like going to a fire, you know, they usually say. What's, you know, not that you're not going to have emotions coming and going, but there's no, you're still in this physical form, but there's no solid being here anymore. Uh, there's no solid self that is objecting to things or agreeing with things. So that that maybe uh, that triggered, triggered your 
irritability out over something. It doesn't happen to a person. It just it's just irritability. It's just part of the it's part of the the tires on the car that's cutting you off. It's part of the clouds that are passing in the sky above that car. It's birds in the tree you don't even see or hear, but you know we're there. You know there everything is there, and everything is good. So the uh, teaching of Long Champa, the Great Perfection, and the teaching of Nisargadatta Maharaj, which we were talking about his teaching last night. Everything is it's, you're looking at it. Nisargadatta get very irritated with people for not saying it. You yell at them. This is back in the 1980s because they wouldn't see. I'm a lot nicer than this. <laughs> And but Longchampa talked about talks about the great perfection. This is there. You don't have to do anything with this. You just see that this is totally perfect. And then the ego mind comes in and says, "Yeah, but how about those people dying in uh, Syria or the you know talk about all the relative?" And what Longchampa is talking about is uh, if you, you have to live in this to see that all of that is included. If you don't live in, in it, then we're back to relative truth and trying to be right and trying to get stop people who are wrong trying to manipulate our world and to get some kind of relative success out of it. If we're going to live forever, maybe we wouldn't have to do anything about it. After about four or five hundred years, you'd stop acting like a child. You'd be fully an adult. Uh, I have to laugh at if nobody else will. So would you say... Dogen's talking about actualizing the fundamental point. Is it So that actualization is essentially the path. When you're starting out, you're saying it's, there's yeah. no goal. It's just the, the goal this path. eternal being. Yeah, it's just it's just this. But it, and we can talk about it. You can talk about it as you just did and explain it. And I can say it the same way. But but if you don't if you don't if, it, if you haven't actualized it, then it's still something you have to do. So, but it has to be taught that way so that people it even shows up in between their heartbeats, in between their thought patterns. So there's a there's something that is a deep understanding of what this is. It's called wisdom. It's called a prajna, called jnana, the fancy words from ancient India. Um, it's pointing of people who a long time ago realized this and then they've long passed away. But that teaching is still here and shows up here. It's showing up in Traverse City. Well, this isn't actually Traverse City. Well, this is... It's Metro Traverse City. Metro. <laughs> Shows up in Metro Traverse City. <laughs> so here we, here we are listening to it and discussing it, and you're asking me a question, and I'm doing my best to respond out of how it looks. So the path goal is not separate anymore. Mm-hmm. So that means that you could say, well, you're on the path, or you reach the goal, or they're not separate. Fundamental. It's fundamental. There, there, there isn't anyone who does anything anymore. But things are still coming and going. There's relative truth is still alive and well in Metro Traverse City. <laughs> but there, there, but there's no beings here. It's not not only there's no being here. There's no being there. There's no there's no one anywhere. It's just an astonishing realization, and it's enough to make you surprised. Yes. You said a few things today that are very descriptive. Of what I've mm-hmm. been experiencing lately, yes. looking at things. So everything I look at, I. Feel like I'm looking back at myself, and then also looking at every everyone, yeah. and, yes. and then it's no one. And the question that keeps coming up when that's happening is: if I look at everything and see myself looking back, is that ego? Paraphrase yourself. If I see myself in everything, am I seeing my ego? No. What did you just say? Yeah, I think that works. But if I'm not really there, am I seeing? I don't know how to make the question. It's like. Well, that's good. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't even know. It's the well, yeah part. Well, yeah, that part that that works. Everything's confusing to where I'm not even sure what the question is. Sounds good to me. (laughs) That's the path. (laughs) That's how the path begins to look. If you're actually on that path, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't have a lot of desserts or way stations or no. There's no. There's not much uh, seduction going on other than your own. Under curiosity or your own desire to see what is true for yourself. Are there questions that need to be asked? Yes. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Do you remember what I? How I should answer that? Do you know? Is it many questions, or is there one question? What question is it you're asking me about? As I'm looking at everything, I, I'm seeing things, but it seems like there's nothing. There's nothing to ask. There's nothing to do. 
but to look at it. So I just keep looking oh, every okay. day, you know, yeah. when I'm sitting or every day, just all day long. It's always mm-hmm. right here. Sounds good. Do well, I need to be asking questions or do I just keep looking until a question Just arrives? ask me a question. <laughs> uh, yes and no. I wouldn't say no because as things go, you, there a question may rise that you need to ask, and I wouldn't say yeah. I mean, I wouldn't interfere with that. You've asked a question, and I've said what? Yes and no. So I'm basically saying that you, uh, I trust uh, trust you to to know when that time. Just like now, you're asking me a question about the whole idea of asking questions. That's pretty basic stuff. So good idea. Keep going. To find a question if there isn't one. In, in any moment. Your husband says no. I can see her head move. <laughs> She's doing this. Only head in the room is doing that. That's the Indian gist. That's the Indian gist. Indian gist. It makes sense. <laughs> for a question to come up? Doesn't matter. You have another question? I mean, I can wait if you have it. Is that... <laughs> I mean, there are, but I'm not in right now. Okay, well, don't hesitate when it comes up. Interrupt me when I'm talking if, you have, if it comes up. Yeah. Any further? Yeah. So there's no one that's aware. Awareness just... Uh, I like the first part. Aware. There's no one that's aware. But awareness just is this extra. I say, right. <laughs> I thought we went through that last night. <laughs> huh? Yeah, good. Don't ever have to correct that. Thank you. <laughs>